Hey all, this is Dave Korsunsky. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We've got a lot more great guests coming, so stick with us. If you like what you've been hearing, head to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Helps keep our show going, and we really appreciate it. Just a few quick updates on what we've been working on with headsuphealth.com which is our app that allows you to centrally track all of your health metrics so you can use data to optimize your health. We just finished our integration with Elite HRV, so you can link your Elite account and your heart rate variability readings will show up on your Heads Up dashboard. Our electronic integration with Keto Mojo is right around the corner. It will be available in October of 2018 You'll be able to purchase a Bluetooth connector for the Keto Mojo device, and it will instantly sync the readings with Heads Up Health. So we're really excited about that one. We've been beta testing it. It's working great, and it's right around the corner. Our mobile app, also right around the corner. We've got a bunch of beta testers. It's working great. That one should be available in September 2018. Our integration with Chronometer has just started. It'll take us two or three weeks to finish that one up. So lots of great new features in the Heads Up Health app. Check it out at headsuphealth.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Hey all, welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we wanna teach you how to take a data-driven approach to your health. So we look at all of the latest technology, all of the researchers, speak to as many of the health experts as we can. First of all, to help you learn how to capture and quantify data on your health. Second, to learn how to interpret that data so you can use it for better health decision-making. That's what we focus on on this show. That's also why we've created the Heads Up Health app, which will allow you to link up all of your health information into one place and use our tools to start to use that information for better health decision making. So if you haven't checked out our app yet, head over to headsuphealth.com. And now let's get into the next episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. And really excited for today's guest, Peter Bowes, and he is the host of the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I had the wonderful pleasure of being a guest on Peter's show a few months ago. And Peter, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you. Give us a quick introduction on yourself. I know you do some work for the BBC. You've got a great show going. You're based down in Los Angeles. So we're going to talk a lot about some of the most important tidbits you've picked up on your show for mastering aging. But before we dive in and, and get into the nerdy details, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hi, Dave. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to do this. It's uh, good to see you again. So uh, yes, you're right. I've got a, a podcast called Live Long and Master Aging. We use the acronym LAMA. Mm -hmm. I uh, also, as you say, work for the BBC, have done for a very long time, for uh, 30 odd years as a uh, news reporter. And it was during that time that I, I got interested in human longevity and science. I actually trained as a biologist before becoming a journalist many, many moons ago. So I've always had that interest. But I made some documentaries about human longevity and aging, went to Loma Linda, which is one of the longest lived communities in North America. And uh, it's a Seventh-day Adventist community. They live about 10 years longer than most people in this great country. So I was curious to, to find out why. And uh, they are one of the, uh, they've been dubbed by some people, one of the blue zones around mm -hmm. the world where people, um, it's largely to do with lifestyle. It's, I think it's diet and it's uh, exercise, but it's, there's a certain spiritual element. And I'm interested in that kind of thing. I took part in a clinical trial at the University of Southern California 
USC with Dr. Walter Longo looking at his fasting mimicking diet that's now become very well known around the world, essentially a, a five-day periodic fast. It's uh, not a complete fast. It's fast mimicking. So your body thinks you're fasting, yep. but you have a little bit of food. And uh, that promoted my interest in, in all of this as well. And it was since I did that that I, I wanted to do a longer form interview format. So uh, that's why I started the podcast where we can talk like, like you do for as long as you need to. Yeah. Um, there's no real editing involved and you can really get into some of these subjects in detail. So that's what I, I did with you. Great. Yes. With you yep. uh, and many others. I've talked to Walter Longo a couple of times. He's a very popular guest and, mm -hmm. and many, many others and uh, really learned a lot. We're uh, up to about 70 episodes now. And uh, it's fascinating talking to different people, a lot of leading scientists, a lot of ordinary people, a lot of people who reached a great age. We've had some, a couple of centenarians on the podcast uh, who don't really think about their longevity. They don't understand the science. So it's interesting to see from their perspective why they think they've lived to a great age. And it's often quite revealing what they've got to say. Awesome. Well, I know you and I talked a lot about the importance of having access to your medical records. We talked a lot about some of the things people can track at home now that wasn't available to us just a few years ago that are very powerful predictors of our health and longevity. Things like maintaining stable blood sugar, heart rate variability, high quality sleep analysis. So we explored the data aspect. But I wanted you to come back onto the show and I threw a ch challenge back to you which was to say, okay, we're, we're 70 episodes deep on the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. You've spoken to the luminaries in the field. You've spoken to the centenarians. You've spoken to the entrepreneurs. So I said, Peter, let's talk about the top 10 things you've pulled away from the show so far, which I thought would be a really, really fun way to introduce this concept of longevity to the Heads Up Health community. And the heads of health community are people who are very engaged in managing their health. They are actively quantifying. They understand that we cannot just default and rely on the doctors to keep us healthy. They can help us if there's a problem. But uh, before that, it, it, it falls to us. So we've got a highly active community that I think would really benefit from this information. So should we go from like 10 down to 1 and... Take us through it. This should be really, really fun. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got my 10. They're in no particular order. So okay, I don't want to say cool. that number 10 is less important than the number one. So we can, we can just go straight through. I tell you what, I will leave what I put at number one for last because it's Beautiful. the most revealing answer to me. I ask pretty much the same question towards the end of my interviews of all of the interviewees. Yep. And it's been quite revealing that they've all given, a, not all the same answers, but uh, the same element has been in that. So we'll leave that till the end. So I'll, I'll jump to number 10 and uh, I just made some notes and it is that simplicity is good. And that can be simplicity in decluttering the desk in front of you or your kitchen, or your refrigerator, or your calendar, to essentially organize your life. Because as I just mentioned, longevity isn't just about the science and the data of longevity. It isn't just about what you're eating and the style of your exercise. It's about everything. It's about how you run your life. It's about the spiritual side, and that doesn't need to be a religious side. It can be just how you connect with people, or how you run your day. And one element that I get from a lot of people, and in fact, very soon we're doing a full episode about decluttering your life and how that can actually physically 
help you and make you feel better and I think promote a certain element of, of longevity. So, for example, cluttering, decluttering your kitchen. You might have a particularly messy bench in your kitchen or a refrigerator that hasn't been cleaned out for, for six months. Mm -hmm. And you can, and this can apply to the desk in front of you, you can actually feel overwhelmed by the clutter in your life. And rather than dealing with the clutter in your life, what do you do? You open that refrigerator door and eat something. It's kind of comfort food. It, it gets you through the moment. Yep. And you deflect the, the clutter and the, the noise in your life by doing something that isn't particularly good for you. So it's really just a lifestyle trait. And I hear this from a lot of people, simplify everything. And, and from my perspective, I love the idea of white space, white space in my calendar, especially. Yeah. Where I can approach that section of the day knowing that I don't have the pressure of doing an interview or talking to someone or writing something or whatever we do in our daily lives. It's white space where you can just kind of have a little Zen moment and do what you want to do. And I think yeah. that decluttering of the mind is a huge element, a huge positive element for, for longevity. So a few things come to mind when you bring that up. I think you mentioned white space on the calendar. I think that's something that when I see white space on my calendar, and in some cases I'll deliberately block entire days on my calendar, just so that my mind has some time to spread out a little bit and doesn't have the pressure of worrying about when the next call is coming in. I'm not time constrained around ideas and creativity. And I think that's really important. So just looking ahead at the calendar and just blocking an entire day so no one can grab any time on your calendar and you have time to think. I have also, in my own personal life, I throw a lot of shit in the garbage. And, well, let's say recycling bin, okay? And I try, every week I'll be like, let me just get rid of a few things I don't need. And my bedroom, for example, has just gotten down to the, to the minimal amount of things that I need. So this idea of simplicity and clutter, both at the mind and both in the environment around us, I think is awesome. It, I've been thinking a lot about the concept of feng shui, which I never really understood until I started really observing which types of environments I can be most productive in. And it's the environments that have open space and they're minimalist, and they're clutter-free. And even where I live now, in Lake Tahoe, compared to living in the Mission District of San Francisco, gives my spirit more room to spread out. So that's awesome. Do you remember where you first picked that one up from, or any of the guests on the show who, who emphasized that one particularly? Um, well, what strikes me is that so many people have said that, that, cool. that, that there isn't one person. I mean, lots of people have said that and that yes. it's uh, and it's a recurring theme when I get into lifestyle, that people are simplifying their lives. And I think it's a sign of the times that we are and we're, we're privileged and we're honored to be surrounded by great technology and you and I are using it right now. And I, I love that. And, and your website is all about technology that makes it possible to collect data and I think that's hugely important but I think equally we need to set step aside from that yes. as you, you rightly described we need to leave that white space just to be human beings and not be cluttered in our minds by the great technology that we can use but you've got to use it carefully and you've got to use it prudently I think and you can't become overwhelmed by it and so who I've learned this from I've particularly learned this from some of the older interviewees who at our age, 
didn't have that technology. And they've described their lives to me, how they grew up growing their own vegetables and living a, a, a relatively simple lifestyle. Yeah. And how they seem to be at peace with that and, yes. and not inundated with all, all the noise that you know, we, we have to deal with these days. Well, I'm an entrepreneur, so my, 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 I'm pulled in thousands of different directions. <laughs> I, I don't have that simple life where I can just tend, tend to one thing, uh, but I think that's, that's applicable to everyone in our society, and I think we're trying to figure out how to make it work. So, And then I'll just leave with one other comment here. Whenever I'm looking around at clutter in my life, there's this funny little saying, and it's, when in doubt, throw it out. And so that's just a simple way to, to constantly be pruning the junk that we have in our lives, the stuff in the garage, the closets that are stuffed to the gills. That's not for everybody. But for me, it's been very helpful to just be a minimalist. Yeah, I t totally agree. I just had one thing to that. Uh, when you're online and you're just about to click buy, just think twice, do I really need it? Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes you don't even need it. Love it. Simplicity. All right. Where are we going next? Okay. Be precise. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, what I mean there is uh, it, it precise in, in the things that we're doing and understand what we're focusing on. So for example, intermittent fasting is a phrase that is widely used, but no one really knows what it means. Are you an intermittent faster? A lot of people say, yeah, I do it. I fast two days out of seven, mm -hmm. and say, oh, well, yeah, I do it, but I do it every day. I, I intermittently fast for six hours every day. If you delve into the science, and, and we are talking detail now, they all uh, create different effects of the, on, on the human body. So if you are, as I would describe myself, a periodic faster, maybe five days every three months, and it's a very specific kind of fast, I understand what that's going to to do to me and what I need to do to achieve the best results. And I think this is a more of a, a global issue, but I think the whole area of fasting needs to look in on itself and examine how it's using the terminology. So intermittent fasting has become a great phrase, I think, to promote the idea that fasting can be good for you. Agree. We now need to bury down into what exactly it means because you can intermittently fast for a couple of days out of seven and never get into ketosis because you're not fasting for long enough. You need to be in a fasting state for at least a couple of days to start burning um, ketone bodies and, and, and fat as opposed to, to glucose. But people are becoming confused and thinking that, okay, I intermittently fast for maybe six hours and I, I do time-restricted feeding, that's completely different to doing yes. a prolonged fast. So yeah. I think we need to be precise in the terminology. And that's come through from a lot of the, the experts that I've spoken to, people like Walter Longo at, at USC, who is very strong on this, that um, we need to really be precise in what we're telling people about fasting so that they can make the best use of, of what people are learning about the, the effects of fasting on the human body. It's almost like having some very specific protocols that, that one can examine and, and look at different protocols, understand what they're intended to do, understand actually how to properly implement them. Like, yes, you, you may actually need to do some testing. So precision in terms of the terminology, precision in terms of the protocols, sounds like that's specific to the world of fasting. 
is is the way you're describing it here. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And uh, this this was going to be another one of my my ten. As maybe I should have mentioned it first. More generally, that fasting, coming out of all of these interviews, that fasting is good for us, and that I think we are moving into an age where there's an overwhelming amount of evidence. I mean, and clearly, fasting has been part of religious protocols for for centuries. But we're now understanding that you don't need to be religious to fast. Clearly, but that it is good for us, and an element of fasting in our lives. This is one of my top ten. This should be quite close to the top, I think. Is good for us, and yeah. just need to focus on the best kind of fasting. And clearly, it's not appropriate for everyone. And I always say, there's always this health warning. You should really speak to your doctor or a dietitian who understands. Yep, disclaimer. Yep. Disclaimer. Big disclaimer there, because yep. you know, you're pregnant. If you're diabetic, there's lots of groups where, if you're very old, um, the fasting may not be good for you. But for a lot of us, it is good, and this is what I've learned in the last five years since I was first introduced to it, and I've learned more through the podcast, that you can achieve tremendous results. You can achieve great results while you're fasting. You feel, once you get used to it, you feel great, and afterwards, there's that regrowing, that regeneration process that goes on that I think long-term can be really beneficial. Yeah, I, I'm by no means an expert here, but I don't think the human body is the only organism that benefits from fasting. I think all elements of the plant and animal kingdom also tend to benefit from fasting. I was just looking at some of the plants I grow outside <laughs> and, and, and not giving them water for, for an extended period of time. Actually, they come back with just an incredible rigor. So there's, there's lots of ways that this applies. And Anecdotally, what I know about how it can help around immune system regeneration, autophagy, whole separate conversation that I'm not going to get into here. But so is, is, is fasting on the list then as one of the top? It is, yes. With and, precision. Uh, that's right. It is uh, very definite. Uh, it, I suppose fasting comes into two categories there. It, yeah. Fasting, per se, I think is great. But then the precision, re- really got to be careful about how you do it yeah. and what kind of fasting you do. And I think we're still in the, it, it, fasting is still in terms of fully understanding what it does, does to us. The science is in its infancy. Absolutely. There, is, there are so many different protocols. Now, yeah. there is the, the famous 5-2. There is what I do, the periodic uh, fasting mimicking, which isn't even a complete fast. There is a little bit of food involved. And then there are different elements of time-restricted feeding. Some people will do 23-1, some will do 16-8, whatever it is. And they all, they're not all the same, and they yep. create different results. So in all of the, well, the, the interviews with the, the leading scientists, certainly, I, I really dig down into all of this and, and try to figure out um, what's best for me and what's best for people listening. And, and the feedback I'm getting is that there's no one protocol that's going to fit for everyone because we're all yeah. in different ways. And well, I think, I think that's just the bio individuality of everything. And yeah. People eat a banana and they have completely different glycemic responses. Right. And I think it's the same. There's a genetic component. There's an, uh, there's a, component of your ancestry that comes into which techniques are best for you. Anecdotally, I've learned through things like tracking with the aura ring and other technologies that my body does best when I've finished eating fork down by 6 p.m. at the latest, which means I pretty much have to eat dinner at, at five. And that's just what I've learned through my own body. And, and I know another friend of mine who eats between eats at one meal at 8 p.m. And, and can go to bed and not have any issues with, with the food digesting and, and, and that works for his body. He's extremely lean 
and solid and strong and fit. So there's the individuality there, as, as I imagine with everything else. So we've covered three then at yeah. this point. So let's keep going. You've just actually hit on the next one, which uh, was pretty high on my list, and that is stopping eating at 6 p.m. The awesome. circadian rhythm, which I think is increasingly important. I'm actually, just right here at my desk, I'm reading Sachin Panda's um, The Circadian Code. Man, right his now. name's popping up for me all over the place. He's I, a gr- I really need to delve into his work. Yeah, he's a great guy. I'm going to interview him for the podcast in a few weeks' time. Sweet. Uh, reading the book now. And uh, he really deeply dives deep into the science of the circadian rhythm. And it's something I've touched on with other people as well. Um, Dr. Felice Gersh, who's a, a doctor uh, out in Orange County in, in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a complete episode with her. And understanding how every cell in the body has a, a clock. Yep. And, you know, it affects us in more ways than we can possibly believe and that we even begin to think about sometimes. So that's that rhythm of the day, the being outside in the light as soon as you wake up for the first couple of hours, um, darkening your room towards the end of the day, not using your phone or your device and all that blue light uh, just before you go to sleep because it inhibits the melatonin release in your body and it disturbs your night's sleep. So uh, combined with stopping eating at about 6 p.m., whatever works for you, maybe 7 p.m., you and I've tried this myself, and the effects are quite overwhelming in terms of yep. how it helps you get to sleep and stay asleep. And, and again, a number of guests ranging from the doctors to the ordinary people who hadn't even thought about it in terms of the science, but they've just lived their lives like this. It comes through to me that, that clearly there's something there, and it's something that we should all take much more notice of. Cool. Yeah, I discovered this just through trial and error. Actually, it was when I purchased the um, Ura Ring, and it gives you heart rate measurements through the entire night. And I, I began to notice that the later I ate dinner, the later in the sleep cycle I would achieve my lowest resting heart rate. And it would just show it to me on a graph. And it could be the difference of hitting that lowest resting heart rate at 4 a.m. versus hitting it at midnight, for example. Huge differences. And when you hit your lowest heart rate is one of the important components they use to tell you how fast you've recovered. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that if your body's digesting food while you're sleeping, it's not devoting resources to the repair and recovery processes that need to happen during the sleep cycle. So that's how I, I cobbled it together myself. But nice to know that that's coming up with with your guests and is one of the best practices yeah it is and it's uh, it's really great to hear the anecdotal evidence alongside the scientific evidence for this and you can meld the two and this is why sure. data like your site allows us to collate and and to view easily is so beneficial alongside just real life experiences and you yeah. can correlate the two take a hypothesis important and and then also if you need the if you need the analytical data you can get it now if you don't need the analytical data you just know that that's good for you awesome but i agree being able to put those two together do your n equals one experiments and start to personalize your approach yeah Yeah. n equals one experiments i've spoken to quite a few people who are um, soul experimenters and mm-hmm. when which is great for yourself and you can educate yourself a lot based on what you if you keep the data what you find out but then if you 
if you have a, a group of friends who are doing the same thing and you share that information and share, again, the anecdotal evidence, which is all it is, it's anecdotal based on an experiment of one, but then you see the common traits, I think a little light will go off and it does go off because you all find that you're discovering the same things yeah. about yourselves, which is really yeah. cool. Cool. So, okay, where are we at here now? We had... Uh, so we had uh, simplicity being simplicity, good. White space. Precision. Precision. Fasting. We had, yeah, fasting. Stop eating early. Stop eating. Fork down by 6, 7 p.m. Okay, yep. so we're on number five now. Okay. Never stop working. Awesome. In your life. Not just yes. every day. Just keep on going. Retirement, yeah. you know, isn't in my vocabulary. And I've learned this again, obviously, from the older interviewees that I've had. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed Herb Albert, music icon, trumpet player. He discovered the Carpenters. He's uh, you know, the Tijuana Brass in the yeah. 60s, 70s. Yeah, megastar. Still working, still working in, in his early 80s. He's still yep. touring singing on uh, well, playing a trumpet with his wife who sings with him interviewed him on the podcast he's a great guy he he's a sculptor he's an artist he's a painter not many people know that but uh, he is and he's got a great place out in malibu and i went and had a look around and he plays music and he he, he writes and he travels and a, a, a great advert i think for for just keep on doing what you love yes associating with people. And I think that's an important distinction, Peter, is keep working ideally on things you love. Yeah. If you're stuck in a job that's making you miserable, yeah. we don't want to be doing that. And one thing I've noticed is just you look at people who are in the media or in the public eye, and for whatever reason, they lose their career for some reason. Whether I mean, there's so many people losing their career nowadays for criminal offenses or for other things. Once they lose that life passion, it's not long before they die. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even, and I'm the first to acknowledge that not everyone has a glamorous show business job or something that they absolutely love. For a lot of people, work is work to get a yeah. paycheck. And maybe it isn't something you want to keep doing forever or are even able to do forever because companies have retirement policies and... Yeah. You just can't keep on, on working. Yeah, but find something else to keep the mind active. Gardening. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. Something yeah. that's stimulating the mind. Yeah, well, I did a great episode with a guy called Larry Sen. Larry Sen is uh, 82 years old. Um, he's a triathlete. He's CEO of a company, again, down in Orange County. Successful businessman. And he, he's got, I think it's an 18-year-old son at the age of 82. He's got a an active family. He spends time with his son. He goes hang gliding with his son. Awesome. And he's very, very active. So his, yeah. and he's actually still working. He still goes yeah. to, to work every day and does an eight hour day and travels uh, East Coast, West Coast. So he's both active in his business life, but in his personal life as well. And I think if he did stop working, he'd have plenty of things to do. I know if I stop working, if I stop being a, a reporter and a journalist, I've got a stack of things that I could still do. Me every too. Day. I think it's impossible for me to stop working. Right, um, exactly. Always, I mean, I, I took a backpacking trip in Southeast Asia, and uh, I just fired up a blog and started cranking stuff out, and it's just it's, it's my natural uh, modus operandi yeah. to be always having my fingers into something. Yes. Yeah, so, so, actually, so, what, so maybe I should have said don't stop rather than stop working. It's stop doing stuff. I mean, don't, don't stop, stop having, living. Stop having a project. Boring. 
Don't yeah. stop having a project, something yeah. new that you're going to dive into. That doesn't have to be work in the traditional sense. Cool. It, so it could be gardening. It could be travel, as you say. Awesome. All right. Keep rocking. All right. So uh, I've got on my list number five, keep moving. We're on six. We're on six, are we? Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep moving. Keep moving. And I mean moving every day, every hour. And again, this is an element that's come out of quite a few interviews. And uh, one thing I've started doing is on, on this device here, it, uh, it vibe, yeah, we all have them all over the place, you know, yep. both, both arms. You got um, two, man. You're, you're, yeah. you're taking it up a level. Yeah, I'll not go into why I've got two, but that's going to change soon. I yeah, for those who are listening, Peter and I are doing a screen share here, and he's yeah. got a tracker on both wrists. I've got yeah. one on my left wrist. I could go get my aura ring and put it on just so I can just so I can hang at yeah. Peter's level, but I don't want to interrupt the show. Oh, there you go. So he would go. just take it up and, and, and one-up me again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually, for, for geeks like you and I, it is an issue of having too many devices, isn't it? And, and oh, too, yeah. Well, I have to test devices because I have to make sure that they all are syncing properly with our yeah. software and stuff exactly. like that. I wear the Fitbit uh, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I wear the Aura ring when I go to bed. I still have the Gen 1 ring. It's a little too bulky for me to be wearing day to day you, yeah. you have the second one is that this, the one you is, this me? is a this is a motive ring oh similar it's very it's small it's very, very low profile very similar it basically goes on that you can get different sizes i use it on oh, okay it. yeah um and yeah it, it um it can it, it collates the same kind of data heart um, rate variability uh, yep yeah, um sleep overnight um hrv yes so it is an issue, and I try things, and, and then don't necessarily use everything all of the time because it can become a bit overwhelming. Yeah. I swim a lot, and a big issue for me is, and, and, this, and you can actually put this in water, so a big issue for me is that you can actually dive into a swimming pool and, and keep your devices on, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is why, the, obviously, the, the Apple and, and these things nowadays will buzz you if you're sedentary. Uh, so I think yeah. the, the keep moving, I think, comes a lot of different areas. I wrote a blog post on what actually happens when we're sitting on our fat butt all day. Right. And basically our metabolism shuts down to zero. Electrical activity in the leg muscles shuts off. We, we yeah. basically go into this state of dormant hibernation. And, yeah, precisely. And we are, we, are, we are eating in a way that if we were moving the way we moved when we were hunter-gatherers or having a physical labor job, the food may not have as much of an adverse consequence. We would be burning it all off. Hmm. But now we're, we're sedentary and dormant and we're eating in ways that compound the problem. So hmm. yeah, what, uh, what would you add there on keep moving based on oh, what you've gleaned? Yeah, well, I agree with everything you've said. And I think what you need to do is you, I mean, people will often use an excuse. Well, I can't keep moving while I'm working. I've got my eight-hour day to do, and it, and it just isn't practical to keep moving. And I would say, yes, you can. And I think, I mean, I, I have a little vibration here every hour that reminds me to just get up and walk around. And it, you, don't, you only need about seven minutes. Seven minutes, you can do 500 steps quite easily. Yeah. And if you do that every hour, it certainly mounts up during the day. Make sure you do at least one. It was Walter Longo that suggested this to me mm-hmm. um, to do at least one long um, airport speed walk. So a pretty you know, late for the flight type of a walk, yeah, that yeah. kind of walk for yeah. a, at least, uh, well, maybe an hour a day. Yeah, which is, which is quite a long time, but I usually try and do it early in the day mm-hmm. um, so that uh, you're less inclined to skip it later in the day if you're feeling a little tired. So get it done early in the day. Um, 
and then keep moving during the day. And what I do is, I, um, I mean, everyone talks about you go to the, the market and you park as far away from the, or wherever you're going, the sure. theater, your place of work, park as far as away as you can. What I actually do, one of the buildings I work in some of the time is it's uh, up on the, what is the 15th floor? It's actually technically the 14th floor because there isn't a 13th floor for superstitions yes. reasons. Yep. So 14 flights up. The parking lot is on the third floor. So I drive in, park, then actually go to the stairwell and walk downstairs to the ground floor, walk completely around the building. And this is a large building in LA, so it's pretty much a, 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 a city block. Yeah. I walk around and then I go to the front door and walk up the 14 flights. Awesome. And from parking the car to, to walking down, round and up, it's about 10 minutes. Yeah. It's only 10 minutes. But by the time but I you're get, getting the heart rate up too, by doing you're getting the heart rate up. Yeah. And you're, you're beginning to sweat and you're obviously you're moving. So that's a, a big part of my sort of early morning regime. And I've incorporated that and people think I'm a little strange for doing this, but wherever I go, the modus operandi is go there, walk around the building before walking into it. Yeah, simple. It might, be, it, might be, it might be two minutes. It might be a small building. Park as far as your way, away as you can. But basically, it's, it's do a lot of circles during the day. And you'll be surprised how easily it is to get up to 15,000, 20,000 steps in a day. Yeah, one thing I remember, I just recently moved from downtown San Francisco up here to Lake Tahoe. I often visit my family. They live in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is more of a an urban sprawl than, than a downtown per se. But when I lived in San Francisco, I had everything I needed within a six block radius. My restaurants, my gym, my dry cleaner, my yoga studio, my coffee shops. And without even thinking about it, I was accumulating 15,000 plus steps a day, just walking from place to place to place to place to place. Now I find that I have to get in the car and go everywhere. So even though I'm out in this beautiful nature area, I'm actually getting less movement than it did before. So that's actually one of the benefits I noticed of living in a, in a highly urban environment is everything was, was within walking distance. And I want to make one more point here for the people listening. A lot of the activity trackers on the markets, the Fitbits and all these other things, there's a lot of studies that have come out that said in a, in a controlled trial, the people with the devices didn't actually lose more weight than the people who didn't. This is not about weight loss. This is not about fat loss. This is about avoiding sedentary behavior. And even if you don't lose a pound, the fact that you're getting up and moving and engaging the electrical activity in the leg muscles and getting the heart rate going and getting outdoors, whether you lose a pound or not, it's the movement that is the benefit that Peter and I are talking about here, yeah. I think. And that's, I think, something the activity trackers don't get a lot of credit for. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it is one of the easiest things we can do. Yeah. As long as you're physically capable of getting out there and moving your legs, it's one yep. of the easiest things we do. We don't need tech to achieve that. You just get outside and do it. Or even as I, I mean, right now you can't see it. I've got a treadmill desk right here. Weed, I'm jealous. Treadmill desk and a, and a desk here that I can move a different. Oh, you're spoiled over there at the BBC office. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'm actually I'm at home now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, you, you, need to be a, you, you need to create, to be as you know, intense about it as I am. You've got to create your own environment. You can't get it in a corporate office, Fair uh, sadly. Um, All right, I want to be mindful of your time. I know you said you have a hard stop at yeah. the top of the hour. So that's okay, that's we're fine, on. we're fine. So uh, let's move on to the next one. Let's talk about moderation is not everything. 
Yep. A lot of people say, oh, just do it in moderation and you're fine. Yeah. What is moderation? I've never been good at that, by the way, for the record. What, but the question is, what does moderation actually mean? Yeah. And uh, again, a lot of people that I speak to, um, Joe DeSena, who created the Spartan race, mm -hmm. says moderation is just an excuse for, yeah, for not doing it or for yeah. not cheating. Yeah, moderation is that word you use when you don't want to push yourself to the limit. Yeah. And I think, uh, and again, in terms of science, uh, again, Walter Longo talks about this moderation. What does it actually mean? And it doesn't really mean anything. Um, you've got to be more, again, it's about precision. So maybe there's a bit of overlap here, mm -hmm. but it's about doing something very precisely and not in a kind of wishy-washy sense. So whether it's an exercise regime or a diet, don't go, go all in, don't go all in and don't be moderate about it you yeah. can be you can be careful and you can be conservative for for good health reasons good medical reasons but if you're using the word moderation as an excuse really not to give 100 percent, you're probably doing something wrong you know for me what comes up when you say that is living the game sorry playing the game of life full out and when you're playing the game of life full out some days you're just going to get your butt kicked other days, you're just going to be on top of the world. Things are going to go right. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get wins. For me, that's just maximizing the opportunity that we have at this moment. And just in every aspect, just going full out on life, relationships, love, business, work, career, everything. And yeah, you're going to get your teeth kicked in some days. You're going to have dust on your face and all this kind of stuff. But that's the way I want to go out, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's about living life. Yeah, and and that that probably, I think, segues nicely into the next one, which is that enduring pain can actually be quite good for us. Mm. And I don't mean intense physical pain and doing harm to ourselves. Yeah. I mean something as simple, or maybe enduring discomfort. And I'll yeah. give you an example. And again, it was Joe DeSena who highlighted this for me. Yeah, we'll link to his work as well as some of the other stuff you've highlighted here. Yeah, um, take a cold shower instead of a hot shower. Yeah. And make, make it a routine. Yeah. And you get, you, it doesn't get much better, as Joe points out. You always go, as you jump into that cold stream of water, yeah. you feel great coming out of it. Awesome. And it really gets the heart beating. You actually spend, I'm in California, like you are, we need to conserve water. You use yep. less water because you have a shorter shower. Yes. You still get clean. Yeah. And there's a huge invigorating element to it. Yeah. And there's a lot of science about taking cold showers and obviously in cryotherapy and that kind of thing, which is an yep. entirely different area. Yeah. But uh, a little bit of pain is good for discomfort is good for Not you. just in the sense of cold water immersion. Uh, by the way, uh, Dr. John Lemansky and I did a whole segment on cold water immersion. We actually hired a, a, a film crew and we actually did it while we were sitting in Lake Tahoe. And oh, really? Five degree water. Excellent. <laughs> it was awesome. And I had yeah. to go in there for five minutes, like right up, submerging the whole neck and yeah. sit there. And we were just talking about what was happening in the body. So uh, I'll link to that. It was really, really fun. But I think pain, being able to absorb discomfort in general, in, in other areas as well. And I've done a lot of silent meditation retreats where you're sitting cross-legged with your eyes closed from the minute you make up, wake up to the minute you go to bed. And one of the things you learn is how to be present with discomfort. And 
when you're sitting there and you're sweating and your knee hurts and your back hurts and you don't change a thing, you just say, okay, this is awful and I'm, I'm present with it. It doesn't mean that it goes away. What I was able to do after that was take that into daily life and I'd be sitting there in a hor horrific traffic jam and it was no different than being under physical dis duress in the meditation session. And in the meditation session, you can't do anything. You can't get up and go stretch. You just have to ride it out and, and learn how to keep an even keel, even during the times of discomfort, and, and approach those in a way where you're not necessarily having to change the circumstances every time th 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 life gets a little uncomfortable. So that's what comes up for me when, when you talk about that one, which is enduring discomfort and learning how to endure discomfort. Yeah, and it also teaches you how to appreciate the comforting things in life. So, sure. for example, and Joe DeSena talks about this, you have your cold shower as a matter of routine, mm -hmm. and then just occasionally you'll treat yourself to a hot shower. So good. That, hot, yeah. that hot shower that, that he has, or anyone who regularly yeah. has a cold shower, yeah. is way better than the hot shower that most people have because they have it every day. Absolutely. And, and another, and, yeah, and another correlation is that if you, if you do a bit of fasting and you, you learn to withstand a bit of hunger and those, the waves of hunger that you get with fasting and you yeah. maybe do it for five days and then you, you ease yourself back into regular eating and you have a, your favorite meal, that meal tastes so much better and it can be quite yeah. a simple meal than it would Previously, if you had it awesome. every day, it, you, you, it. you can taste the food, you can smell the food, and it, 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 it's just more, it's just better. Beautiful. So, enduring discomfort. Mindfully. I think it's good. Yeah. Uh, mindfully, physically as well. I think yes. it's, um, it's, uh, it's really good for us. Awesome. Okay. Um, eat clean. Eat simple. I mean, it, it, we hear this a lot, but it's, it's so true. Go, yeah, go to a farmer's market. This one really sets me off. So, yeah. I mean, I want, I'd love to hear your explanation of it, and then I'm going to go on a rant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I will not delve too deeply into the scientists, because I, you know, I, I, I don't, I never in these interviews put myself as the expert. I love talking to the experts. Yeah. However, just from a, a, almost a practical perspective, um, choose the clean foods, the clean vegetables. You know, if they've got a bit of dirt on there and a bit of soil on there, it, it, it's great. And if you can grow them at home, which isn't practical for everyone, yeah. uh, all, all to the better. Um, again, the appreciation of those foods, uh, aside from what it's, how it's benefiting us not to have the, the pesticides and the chemicals, um, just the appreciation of a simple, you know, freshly harvested food is so good. And again, this has come through to me from those older interviewees who talked about their simpler lifestyles, you know, maybe 70 years ago, before we were way before we were born. You know, how that, that is how most people lived around mm -hmm. the United States. They would grow, grow their own food. And um, the just the so living a science, the science, the beneficial science of, you know, behind mm -hmm. just the practical, almost social implications, I think, of, of just appreciating food and eating simply, that we, yes. all, we don't need gourmet food to, to live good lives. Yeah, I mean, I'm a bachelor, so I, I, I keep it simple just because I don't want to spend a lot of time. I, I buy some raw vegetables. I buy a prepared organic chicken. I buy things that are just really simple to eat. And I think that also applies to keeping a lot of processed foods out of the diet as well. A lot of things with preservatives, 
a lot of things that are that are engineered by food scientists to be as hyper palatable as humanly possible. Rob Wolf talked about this in his book, Wired to Eat, about how a lot of the commercial food on the shelves is engineered to just absolutely light up the reward circuits in the brain. And this is not by accident. These are individuals who are studying the neurochemistry of food. And so we, we're up against some powerful forces there when it comes to eating simply because these foods are as rewarding as, as certain drugs when you really look at them in fMRI machines. And that's mm -hmm. what the average Joe is out there dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard. Even me on my journey and, and learning how to eat cleaner and adopting a ketogenic lifestyle, it's been up and down and up and down and up and down. And still to this day, it's up and down, but it's a consistent battle. So that's a hard one for a lot of people, especially people who are addicted to sugar and carbs and, and other types of foods that are just hard to get out of the diet. It's hard to get your brain or your, your gut microbiome or whatever is telling you to go eat that stuff. Mm. One of the two, probably some combination of the two. Hard to do, but I think very powerful when we yeah. can start to move in the right direction. Yeah, because we're, we're bombarded with advertising. Yeah. We're bombarded by images of food, television, mm. theater, salt, sugar, fat. Salt, sugar, yeah. fat, yeah. convenience. Yeah. I, um, you know, I'm frustrated when I see vending machines especially places where there are children mm -hmm. uh, encouraged to, to grab a, a snack, um, to grab a, a, a soda. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's as if people are not learning because these things are all over the place. And, um, you know, much the, thornier issue that, 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 that's a systematic mm -hmm. issue of the type of society in general we live in, how our entire economy is engineered. So yeah, yeah. We can, um, we can wax philosophical on that one when we have more time. Yeah. Exactly. Simple, eat clean. Yeah, it's a good message. Cool. All right, number one. Yes, here it is. So, I, I drum roll. I ask, uh, towards the end of the interview, I generally ask uh, the question, because we're talking about longevity and, and living to a ripe old age, why do you want to live to a great age? You know, well, a lot of people will criticize those of us interested in longevity saying, well, why don't you just live and let live and, and die at 70 or whatever the average age yeah, is? Yeah, we had a good why, run. Yeah, let's... Why, time why, to why do you aspire to go to 80 or 90 or 100? You know, what, what is it? And I notice a common theme in the answer to that question. And it is, and it's not a, a selfish desire to get to that age. Most people will say, I want to do it for my children and my grandchildren. I want to be part of their lives as I grow old to be able to, to help them. And that's why I need to be physically healthy yeah, and active. Sure. And I need to be able to share my wisdom, my 90-year-old wisdom with my 70 or 60-year-old son and 40 or 30-year-old grandchild. Yeah. And, and it's all, and it's so the element of family and people being close to you comes through very, very strongly in a reason to live a long, healthy life, a, a long health span, optimizing the number of years when we're healthy as opposed to, to lifespan, yeah. when you may not be of any physical or mental state to, to help your, your young children, but optimize the health span to be with your family. Invest now 
so that when you get to 70, 75, 80, 85, you have a high quality of life. And I've seen it happen to, to both of my grandmothers who reached those ages. So from a statistical point of view, they had a very long life. But from a quality of life point of view, which is not measured, it was extremely difficult because they did not have the physical strength, the body, the mind, the, the ability to enjoy that quality of life as we age. So I think with our modern medicine and technology, you can live that long. We can keep you alive for a really long time. But like you mentioned, are you still out there being active? Are you still hang gliding or yeah. even being able to garden and do the things you love to do? Yeah. For me, that's where the education and the investment starts now so that I have the physical strength, the emotional strength, and the knowledge to, to even make that a reality for me. Yeah, I, I, I agree that, that that is the point of this and that it does start now it's uh, ideally it should start at a much younger age that you and i are at it mm -hmm. should start in your in your well 20s i mean i didn't figure this stuff out until i was in my 30s and 40s right i, I didn't yeah. i didn't nobody taught me how to eat nobody taught me that the food i was eating was a disaster for my blood sugar nobody taught me this stuff i had to go figure it out for us for myself we don't teach it in schools if you're lucky enough to take the initiative to learn it, great. But there's no yeah. manual you get when you start life mm. on how to do all this stuff. That's right. And, and which is why coming full circle, it's so what you do with collecting of data and helping us understand how our bodies are responding to the environment around us, which is why that is so important. Melding that technology, the ability to, to view this kind of data and to, to make sense of it with I think old school wisdom that I learned from a Absolutely. lot of my. Absolutely, I love guests. that. Yes, I think uh, yeah, all of this is important in terms of the bigger picture, with the ultimate goal of of extending that health span. Awesome. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. We're right on time. I want to thank you for having me on the show a few months ago. I want to thank you for being Good. a user of Heads Up Health and a supporter. We're a startup, so that really helps. And this has been a really, really fun conversation, Peter. Thanks for coming on the show. And yeah. uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. You're doing great work with the website. I, I do use it regularly. I look at it. We all have our different screens and arrangements yeah. of, of data. Well, we've got our mobile app coming out in about I'm a week or two. It. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you'll have your stats on the go. We yeah. just finished the integration with Elite HRV, which is a nice longevity metric. So we've got that coming in. Yeah. The integration with Keto Mojo coming out. So lots of good stuff coming out in the next little while. So uh, thanks for being a user and a supporter. And it's yeah. been great having you, Peter. Have a wonderful great pleasure. Yep. yep. Thanks. Let's do it again. Take care. Yep. Cool. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 